Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we read Parashat Teruma. It's a parasha in which Hashem instructs, instructs us to build a sanctuary for Him, to build a dwelling place for Him in this world. And we see, and we have explained previously, how God created this physical world in order to make it His home. So the purpose of this world, of where you and I live, of this world that is called in the, in the Kabbalistic way, the world of Asiya, the world of action, which is the lowest world of creation. Hashem has created many other worlds, but this is where we, we live. Is the purpose of this place is for us to make a dwelling place for Him, to bring the divine conscience into this very lowly place. So we're going to see why. The goal was achieved for an elusive moment when the world was first created, but the miscalculations and wrongdoings of the early generations of mankind forced the divine presence to retract himself from the world and be farther away from the world. So we see that when Hashem first created the world uh, in Bereshit, on the sixth day of creation, He creates man and the woman, and right before Shabbat, three hours before Shabbat, He tells them, you can eat from any tree in this garden, except from that tree in the middle, that is the tree of, of, of knowledge, of good and bad, good and evil. You can eat from anyone except that one. In three hours when Shabbat comes in, you can also partake from that tree. And what do they do? They eat from what is prohibited for them. They, they only have to wait three hours. And they couldn't wait three hours. So at that moment, plan A became plan B. The, the truth was that we were going to go into the Garden of Eden. Messiah would come. That was it. But what happened was that man descended. He was sent into exile, into this lower realm where we are. And the world became heavy and very dark. It wasn't until... Um, until seven generations later, when Moses came, that we received the Torah and the world was restored to a more type of world that was what Hashem had envisioned. So the first uh, real and genuine stage uh, of Moses' reinstatement of God's presence here on earth was the splitting of the Red Sea. Uh, which was described in Parashah Beshalach, for as long as the sea remained divided, the physical world was host to an awareness and consciousness that it had not experienced since the primordial garden of Eden. So the, the splitting of the sea of reeds, or the Yam Suf, as we know in Hebrew, in Lashon HaKodesh, was the first step of Hashem making Himself part of the world. Before that, it was like God was up there in heaven and we were down here in the, in, in, on earth. And this was the first approach of him to become part of the world. God's existence and presence being readily perceptible and obvious. It was obvious. Like all the plagues that he had inflicted before were not so obvious. Like we could see by the seventh plague that it, yeah, it was Hashem, but it was not so obvious. It could be like the universe things, but the, the splitting of the Red Sea, really what it did, it was it turned the consciousness of man, it made it more 
readily available for the conscience of divine existence. So this, this, the problem with this, when it comes from Hashem, is that that consciousness, as it comes, it goes, it, it, it disappears in a second. The moment that the, the, the sea was reverted to its original state, the Jewish people, they were not aware of God again. And so what happened is the next thing we know is they're complaining because the water tastes bitter for them. But in reality, it was not that the water was bitter, they themselves were bitter. And that, that is the reason why they experienced it in such a way. So, so we see that this transcendent experience was as a fleeting as it was exalted. As soon as the sea returned to its natural state, the normative consciousness reverted also to its natural state. So once the sea had been split and it had been shown the divine consciousness can indeed penetrate um, the entire order of creation down to this physical world, the next stage of this process could occur, namely the demonstration that God's presence can penetrate even further into the realms of reality that are antagonistic to, the even, to even deny uh, Hashem. So the, the, the greatest gift God gave humanity was that he contracted himself in such a way in the creation of the world that we can come to even doubt if he exists. So the Torah could at least be given to humanity. In giving the Torah, God, God gave mankind his instructions on how to turn this world into his home on an ongoing basis. This was what the giving of the Torah really was. But also the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, as spectacular as it was, the event, it, 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 it reached the whole universe, it, everybody was touched by it, everybody heard it, the Ten Commandments, everybody felt it, even if they were not presently there. As soon as all this uh, excitement was over, the, the mountain reverted itself also to its natural state, a, a regular mount in the desert of Sinai. So we see from here that a relationship really has to be twofold. In, in my Instagram this week, I put it takes two to tango. You need two to tango. If you have, want to have a relationship with God, you have to give of yourself. It cannot be that Hashem is always giving, 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 and we're always receiving, receiving, receiving. Because for a relationship to be able to be healthy, it needs to flow. It needs to have a, a giver, a receiver, and that receiver has to also give, and the one that gave has to become a receiver. So up till now, Hashem was a giver. He was a giver. He was all the time giving, 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 giving. We were giving zero to him. And this is not sustainable. This is not going to work. Not for Hashem with us, not like a parent with a child that's always giving, 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 and the child is never giving back the same thing or with a friendship or with a husband or a wife or any, any type of relationship that we encounter in our lives cannot be a one side street. It needs two. And as I heard once in Ashur, the, the, the presenter was saying that the relationship really is dependent on the person that gives the least. You know, if a person gives 100% to his relationship with his wife, 
If she gives 10%, that's the relationship. It doesn't matter if the other one is giving 100%. The one that gives the least in the relationship is the one that puts the, 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 the amount of that relationship. So we see here that it wasn't until this parasha of Terumah that the Jewish people really started to become givers. Like in the last parasha of Mishpatim, we see that the laws of uh, legis legislation uh, that are dealing with human, in that deal with the human intellect could have, that are dealing with our way that we behave amongst each other was the beginning of this relationship. This is why he gave it to us right after Mount Sinai. Like you would think, Hashem, it, why is he giving us Mishpatim? Why is he giving us civil laws right after such an experience as, as Mount Sinai? Why, why is he giving us this? Like how we behave between each other, it doesn't make sense to me. Like the most normal thing would be that he would give us Kabbalistic insights, the mystical part of the Torah, the secrets of the Torah, right? The, the candy, the, 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 the cherry on the top, but he doesn't give us this. He gives us the raw life, the life amongst people, how we have to treat each other, how we have to deal in our businesses, how we have to treat our employees, how we have to treat our our, our, our neighbors, uh, someone that we don't know, or even our enemies. If you see his, his animal fell down, you have to pick it up, even if it's your enemy's animal. So he gave us these laws on how we have to behave amongst each other because this is the beginning of us becoming givers. It's the beginning of us getting out of our skin and becoming more giving people. And, um, and we see that these laws in Mishpatim, which Rashi says that these were given right after Mount Sinai, so we know that these laws were given by Hashem because this is civility. This is any civil society would have these laws. Like any human being could come up with this type of laws of if you ruin somebody's uh, property, how much you have to pay them. So any civil society would come up with this, but it says that in reality, Hashem was permeating us with a divine consciousness. This is what it is, and gradually, by us re being refined human beings towards others, will refine the world too because it's it starts with our behavior it starts on the with the way in which we behave and so parasha teruma which uh, is this parasha the parasha of this week in this parasha hashem asked the jewish people to contribute uh, as generous as their heart wants to give to the building of the mishkan of the tabernacle in the desert and um and this one it's very concrete. He tells us exactly how to build the Mishkan, the, the dimensions, uh, how he wants it, what materials, everything. So they shall make me a sanctuary so that I may, may dwell in their midst, in the tabernacle, and God finally finds a permanent home in the physical world and through it a home in each and every individual in this world that lives up to his will. 
So when a person is living up to his to Hashem's will, when he's living in a righteous way, the way Hashem intended him to be, then Hashem not only dwells in the world, but He's dwelling within each person because each person is, a, is an individual mishkan, it's an individual tabernacle. So as our sages say, He did not say, I will dwell in it, but I will dwell in them. The presence of the tabernacle cemented divine consciousness into the life of the people, both as a nation and as individuals. So terumah really means donation, means sedaka. Literally, teruma means a portion set aside or a portion lifted out of one's possessions. The parasha opens with God's command to the people to donate materials for the construction of the Mishkan, each according to his or her own generosity. <coughs> so it didn't depend on how much a person had. If he was richer than the other, it was dependent on his generosity. So a donation is in a way a paradox. It's a paradox because you're giving part of yourself by giving something away. We are saying, tactically at least, that this part of our wealth is better spent on the charitable cause, in this case the, the tabernacle, than on my own affairs. When we give tzedakah, when we give a donation to an organization, a synagogue, a school, any worthy cause, what we're doing is we're saying this is more important than me. This is more important than those shoes I want to buy. This is more important than buying a new china for my house. It's more important for me to help in this, in this cause. We're in effect admitting that we are less worthy of our wealth than the individual or the cause to which we are contributing. So on the other hand, this way of thinking cannot be followed to its logical but one-sided conclusion. And uh, for them, we would give away everything. Like if for us, the cost is more important than us, then we would just give everything away. I know philanthropists, not Jewish philanthropists, that give all their wealth away and they keep whatever they're gonna need to live in, uh, for the rest of their lives. If, if, but they give everything away. This is not the Jewish way. Uh, Hashem tells the Jew you have to give 10 to 20, I think it's 25% maximum, maximum of your earnings uh, because you can become poor too. And you don't want to end up on the receiving side. So Hashem doesn't want you to give everything away. He doesn't want you to not have a nice house. He doesn't want you not to dress nicely. He, he, he says, I give you this amount, 10% of this amount is not yours, it's mine. And if you don't give the 10%, then Hashem will give you 10% to you and he'll keep the 90%. So the reality when you give is you have to know that you're not giving your wealth. You're giving God's wealth. You're, you're his trustee. You're his bank account. You're the one that's managing his money. So when we give to another cause, Apart from ourselves, in reality, we have to know this is Hashem's money. That's why we have to be so careful to where we give our money, because it's not our money. 
So if they're raising money to save the dolphins in, in, in the Bahamas, yeah, very nice. But hello, as a Jew, you have more other responsibilities. What about orphans in Israel? What about people who are, have nothing to eat in Israel or in your or in your in your neighborhood? It starts in your home, with your children, with your wife. You cannot be giving, 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 and then you have your kids in a public school. You know, there's there's an order to this. So by giving away only a portion of our wealth in reality, which this is what Hashem wants from us, we are at the same time acknowledging our own right to our wealth and asserting our own right to exist. So Hashem doesn't want us to be these people that have no feeling of, of existence. He wants us to have uh, an awareness of our right to exist. And, but, but the fact that we have given some of our wealth away implies that our own private life is not the end, all and be all of existence. So what it's doing is that not only you're important too, and your welfare is important too, but who you give to, you giving to others becomes part of your life. So the result then is that even while retaining our sen sense of self, our donations makes the rest of our non-donated life subordinate to the higher cause. This is so beautiful. This is from from Likutei Torah, from the from the Rebbe. Even though we retain the better part of our own wealth and life, the very fact we have given some of it away to a worthy cause reflects our selflessness and transforms the remainder of our wealth into an expression of this same selflessness. So what it means is that the more we give, the more we donate, the more this becomes true. The more you're giving of your 10, 15, 20% into tzedakah, then the importance in your life to be giving becomes also part of your having. It also becomes important. It's, it's, it's you know, in life you need, a, you need like, Ni tanto ni tinto. We need to learn to live uh, in the proper way. And this is the proper way. So what it says that, that um, in simple practical terms, when we donate to Holy Causes, this very fact turns our business, our profession, into a means to enable more contributions of our whole life, down to its most mundane aspects, becomes consecrated to the cause and part of the cause, whether or not we're conscious of this. So even if we're not conscious of this, then our whole life becomes this flowing energy of giving, receiving, receiving, giving, the same way as our relationship with Hashem has to be, or our relationship with anybody has to flow in such a way. It's an energy. So donating is therefore a process of gra gradual refinement. The more we donate, the more we refine the rest of our lives. We continue to donate because our awareness of the importance of the cost increases. This increasing awareness is reflected in our increasing selflessness. So the important thing is that we refine ourselves to the point that we become selfless. We, we, we don't become self-centered. And, and for us to be a, 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 someone in this world that can be providing to others, providing goodness to others, becomes the, the reason to live. It, it's interesting 
that uh, the Alter Rebbe, in one of his mimers on Sedaka, he says that it's very important to give Sedaka every day. It is a custom. We have to give Sedaka every day. So the, the, the healthy way to do it, he says that it's more powerful to give one 25 quarter a day than to make a check of a thousand dollars every three months. You know, because every day that you're putting a coin in the pushka, every day you're putting sedaka, this becomes you. This becomes who you are. It refines you. It doesn't mean you don't have to give your 10%. You have to be on top of that. But to be giving constantly every day makes you a different person. I, I personally have a little sedaka box, pushka, in my house, in my, where I pray. It says, the Rebbe used to say that it's good to attach it to a wall of the house because then the whole house becomes a sedaka box and it's always protected. And I, every day before I pray, I put a coin in there. Every day I have a box full of coins of 25 cents and I recycle them. Once the box is done, I know I have $200 in there. I pour it back in and then I send my donation to a worthy cause. But this is, is, is a constant thing that you do every day. You do every day, it really become, it becomes you. You become a, a, a tzedakah. This is who you become. So this increasing awareness is reflected in our increasing selflessness. Ultimately, our whole life is transformed into selfless devotion to bettering and elevating the world. It, it, this is who you become. You want to refine the world. You want to you wanna do tikkun olam. You want to make it better. We have thus refined our portion of the world from its a prior, uh, priori selfishness to this divine consciousness. So thus in contrast to giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, which affected a complete but uh, short-lived nullification of the worldliness of the world, uh, building the tabernacle, building this Mishkan, Hashem asking people to give according to their gener generosity really permeated and refined the, the creation of the world. This is when Hashem was able to come down. Because we're, we're so full of ourselves, Hashem has no place. We have to let go of that self-centeredness self and open a, a, a space for God with, with nullification. So this is why God commanded to contribute to building the tabernacle precedes even his commandment to build it. It's more important the contributions of the tabernacle than the tabernacle itself. And this is why this parasha is called Terumah. It is specifically in the process of donating to the construction of the tabernacle that the essential nature and purpose of the, of the Mishkan uh, what make it concrete and allow the divine presence in earthly reality as accomplished by human effects. So it's not that God decided to live here and he bought real estate and he came down here. We, we bought the real estate, we built it for him and we are the ones that brought Hashem down to the world. So this also explains why the Torah describes the people's contributions in detail. It's very detailed and what they are to bring, how much and so and, and, and for what. Every detail of the process of refining the world is a separate story. 
and each element of the process is significant in that it affects an elevation of the world in a way that no other elements can. The other interesting thing that we see in this parasha is that the Mishkan was constructed in the desert. It was not constructed when the Jewish people arrived to the promised land in a and they were settled there. It was construct constructed in the middle of nowhere. There was nothing there. It was devoid of, 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 of any uh, civilization. It was like nomads were living in there. They would travel with it. It had no permanent place. And we see that, the, that the, the, it's here in the desert, in the, in the deserted parts of our lives, that God commands us to build him a sanctuary. There has to be a void. To have, to have Hashem within us. And we see also that even when we feel alienated from the empty of divinity and despair of living our existential wastelands to enter the promised land, we must remember that God's commanded to make him a sanctuary, that he might dwell in, in it at first given and fulfilled in the desert. The desert is a place that is not, that it's devoid, that it's empty. And for us to be to be able to bring the Torah into our lives and to allow Hashem into ourselves, we cannot be, we need to be empty. We need to allow Him in. There has to be a space for Him. So moreover, the desert also signifies the dimensions of spirituality that transcends the civilized, settled world. That in the desert is, is like, what it's saying is that this Torah is accessible to everybody. It's not necessary in a permanent place that we can accept Torah. Like, you can live in, in, in Burundu and you can live a Torah life. You don't need to live in Israel, in Jerusalem, and go to the, to the Beit HaMikdash, God willing, when Mashiach comes, to be able to draw Hashem down into the world. It's not in a place, it is within us. It's in the way we live, in the way we think, in the way we act, in how we bring Hashem into the world, how we reveal Him in every action we take. And this is the way in which Hashem can dwell within us. So I wish you a blessed week, and remember, live a little higher. Thank you.